This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, I have a show today that is going to be unique. I'm going to talk about a single topic, and I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about this single topic, given that in Washington now, there's a lot of talk going on about changing the tax code. Now, this isn't unusual. These changes do happen from time to time. But these changes can sometimes even significantly, but they'll always affect those that have an IRA or a 401k or some type of a tax-qualified plan that they use to save for retirement. So I'm going to talk about that exclusively on today's program. So if you have an IRA or a 401k, you'll want to stay tuned because I'm going to share some things with you that will hopefully give you not only a different perspective, but also what I would consider to be a proper perspective when it comes to looking at IRAs and 401ks as a way to save for retirement. Now, before I do that, all this month, we are offering a free report titled, Are We Rocketing Toward Reset?, Uh, That report takes a look at current valuation levels of many asset classes and concludes that we may be nearing the point at which a reset could begin. The report also offers strategies for you to consider for your own individual financial situation. If you go to requestyourreportnow.com, you can request your copy of this free report. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com, and we'd be glad to send you a complimentary copy of that report. So let's talk about IRAs and 401ks. And to do this in the proper context, we really have to go all the way back to 1974, because it was in 1974 that Congress passed a law known as ERISA. Now, ERISA is an acronym for the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. Now, this law was passed really as a reaction to a number of companies that were shuttering up and a number of workers who had been promised pensions had lost their pensions. But included with this legislation was a brand new idea. It was something called an IRA or an individual retirement account. And under the initial law, and it remains this way today, any employee who contributed to an IRA or now a 401k could reduce their income by the amount of the contribution to the IRA or 401k on their tax return. Now, Many people refer to this reduction in income as a tax deduction, but the first thing I want to share with you today is that this is not really a tax deduction at all. I'll explain that in just a second. But before I do, let me have you go back and think about when you started to contribute to your IRA or 401k. And I would bet you the biggest stake in Texas, you were told three things. You were told, one, put your money into an IRA or a 401k, and you can take the amount of the contribution as a deduction on your income taxes. 
Secondly, you can invest that money wherever you want to, and it will grow on a tax-deferred basis. And then third, when you take the money out at retirement, you'll be in a lower tax bracket. Now, at the time ERISA was passed, Social Security benefits weren't taxable. However, nine years later, Social Security benefits became taxable. And now, if you took withdrawals from an IRA, and these withdrawals, these withdrawals are large enough, and it increased your income enough, it could cause your Social Security to be taxed at a higher level. So my point is, as I'll talk about on today's program, the tax rules changed as well. Now, let's drill down on this idea of a tax deduction. Because the idea of getting a tax deduction and saving money on your taxes sounds, on the surface, like a good idea. But for many of you, as I'll explain now, this is not a good idea. This could be a bad idea for many people. See, tax deductions are good. We all love tax deductions. But when you take a so-called tax deduction for contributing to a retirement account, you need to remember these deductions are not actually deductions. You're essentially taking a loan from the IRS, and the IRS will make sure this loan gets paid back when you retire, plus, depending on your tax situation, potentially massive amounts of interest. My point is, don't get fooled into thinking this is a real tax deduction because a real tax deduction doesn't have to be paid back. There are no strings attached. Let's just assume for a moment that you make a gift to your church or to a charity. And let's assume that you itemize your tax deductions. Just for example's sake, let's say you make $50,000 a year and you contribute $5,000 to your church provided you're eligible to itemize your deductions, but just for simplicity's sake, your $50,000 income is reduced by the amount of the deduction, which was $5,000 in this example. So your tax deduction for contributing to your church reduces your income from $50,000 to $45,000. That's an oversimplification, but in essence, that's how it works. Now, once you take that tax deduction, that's the end of the story. There's no string attached. There are no stipulations on the church or charity using the money a certain way. You make the contribution. The church or charity accepts the contribution. You get the tax deduction, and the books are closed on that transaction forever. That's not true of a deduction taken for a contribution to an IRA or a 401k. When you deduct your contribution to an IRA or 401k on your tax return, which works a lot like that contribution to charity, there are plenty, underlining the word plenty, of strings attached. See, this tax deduction for a contribution to an IRA or 401k has the IRS immediately placing a lien on your retirement account. This lien is, in one sense, kind of like the lien the banker might place on your house when you take out a mortgage, in that the IRA or 401k account is collateral for the loan. 
Now, let me have you imagine a situation for a moment. Imagine that you are purchasing a home and you are taking out a mortgage to finance that home and you get to the closing table and you're sitting across the table from the lender and the lender slides the loan documents across the table to you and the interest rate blank on the mortgage form is left blank. The amount that you're required to pay back to the lender is left blank. And you say to the lender, shouldn't these, shouldn't this information be disclosed on the mortgage form? What would you do if the lender said, don't worry about it, we'll figure that out later. We're just going to put a lien on your house and we'll let you know what the payback terms are at some later date. How many of you would sign those loan documents? I'm guessing zero. See, that's the loan that you're taking from the IRS when you make this contribution to an IRA or a 401k. You get a tax deduction, but the terms of paying back this loan at a later date are unknown. See, these loan payback terms or provisions can be changed at any time if the Washington politicians decide to change the tax rules as they are kicking around now. Now, I talk about this in the newly released revised version of my book. The book is titled, Can You Divorce Yourself from the IRS? And I'd like to offer you a free copy. If you go to divorcetheirsbook.com, we'll send you that uh, this month. Um, And that book will outline this in detail and give you some strategies to consider. But we talk about this in detail. So the whole notion that the payback terms of this loan that you receive from the IRS when you make a contribution to an IRA or 401k can change when the tax rules change should be unsettling, should be unnerving to you. And you should ask yourself a simple question. What are the odds that future income tax rates are higher than they are today? See, if you said that future income tax rates are likely going to be higher today than today, at some point in the future, then the payback terms of this loan become less favorable to you, and they become more favorable to the IRS. See, this lien that the IRS places on your account when you reduce the income reported on your income tax return by the amount of the contribution that you make, it entitles the IRS to a portion of every withdrawal on that account for the rest of your life. Now, if you're not paying taxes, if your income is low enough that you can take money out of an IRA and not pay income taxes, then this can be a really good deal for you. But what if that's not you? What if as you take distributions out of this retirement account, you're not only paying tax on that distribution, but you're also paying tax on your Social Security at a higher rate? And what if it's potentially moving you into a higher tax bracket? Or what if the tax rules change and the tax rates are less favorable at some future point than they are today. 
See, the brutal truth is that when you have an IRA or a 401k, the IRS is now a joint investing partner with you in your retirement account. The amount that you end up paying back to the IRS will increase as your account grows. So instead of paying back principal plus interest to the IRS as you would on a mortgage loan, you actually forfeit a percentage of your account to the IRS for the rest of your life in many circumstances. And when the IRA or 401k account is eventually passed to your heirs, the IRS or your investing partner in the account will once again be there to take their share. And as I noted, if tax rates go up, the IRS gets more and you get less. Now, before I go to the break, let's look at an example. Let's take the example of a 30-year-old taxpayer who's in a combined tax bracket of 20%, and this is a hypothetical example. Let's say this 30-year-old taxpayer contributes $5,000 per year to a retirement account for 10 years and lets that account grow at a 5% annual growth rate to age 70. Well, tax savings from this deduction, but we all know now that is really a loan that you take from the IRS, it's 20% of the contribution. It's $1,000 a year for 10 years. That's $10,000. So she has saved $10,000 in taxes, but has now taken on the IRS as a joint investing partner in the account. Now, at retirement, assuming no change in tax rates, assuming the same 20% tax bracket, assuming only required minimum distributions are taken out of this account, which now start at age 72, if the taxpayer dies at age 90, total taxes paid on the retirement account will be $101,562. Tax savings of $10,000, taxes paid of $101,562. Is that a good deal? Well, a tenfold loan repayment cost is significant. Now, that assumes the same tax rate when the taxpayer makes the contributions to the retirement account and when they take the distributions out. That may or may not be the case for you. All these concepts and ideas are outlined in the book, Can You Divorce, Can you divorce Yourself from the IRS?, If you'd like to get a copy of the book, just go to divorcetheirsbook.com, divorcetheirsbook.com, and I will be very glad to send you a copy. I'll be back with more after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, we're talking about IRAs and 401ks, and I'm offering a different perspective for you to consider today. If you're just joining me in the first segment, I talked about the fact that when you put money in an IRA or 401k, many people refer to the reduction in income that results from making this contribution to a tax deduction. They call it a tax deduction when it's really a loan. When you put money in a traditional IRA or 401k and reduce your income by the amount of the contribution... The IRS is now your joint investing partner in the account. And when you take money out of that account, it will be subject to the tax rates in effect at that time. Now, I'm going to talk about 
how to potentially divorce yourself from the IRS and your IRA in the next segment. But in order to really think about this properly, I would encourage you to avoid thinking like the herd. I would call it avoiding herd mentality. You have to think about this differently. And just to dive in to herd mentality for a minute, I would define it as adopting the same behavior as the people around you without pausing to think through that behavior to see if it really makes sense. Herd mentality really means you're just adhering to the status quo. You're doing what everybody else is doing without looking at other perspectives to see if these other perspectives might make some sense. Now, this last year has been a case study in herd mentality. Now, when you study herd mentality, you find that often the herd is eventually wrong. And I'll give you a couple examples. You might be old enough to remember the dot-com tech stock bubble of the late 1990s. Remember what happened to tech stocks and the rest of the stock market from 2000 to 2002? A decline of nearly 50% in the value of stocks. Now, if we go back and revisit that time frame of the late 90s, during this time, the herd thought it made sense to invest in companies that had technological promise but had never made a profit. As the technology craze intensified, the idea of investing in the stock of companies that had never made a profit ended up seeing, seeming normal to the herd. Just a few years prior to the tech stock bubble building, most in the herd would have never, ever considered investing in a company that was losing money. See, if you had said, here's this company that's got potential, but it's never made a profit, would you like to invest? Most in the herd would say, that is a downright dumb idea. Now, however, during this time frame, herd mentality shifted. And the perspective of the herd changed by a full 180 degrees. Now, no one thought it was crazy, or many people, I should say, thought it was crazy not to invest in these same companies. Look at the prices going up, even though there was no reason behind those prices increasing. Now, as the perspective of the herd changed and this technology bubble continued to inflate, media reinforced the changing viewpoint of the herd. I can't underestimate that statement enough. We're seeing the same thing now with cryptocurrencies. Now, let me give you a specific example. Maybe you remember during this time frame, there was a company, Pets.com. They are no longer in existence. The company aired television commercials of a talking sock dog that tried to convince pet owners to buy their pet supplies online. The company was founded in 1998. They went public in 2000 as the tech stock bubble was building, I should say peaking, and it took $300 million in investment capital in on its initial public offering, and that same year went bankrupt. Now look at the numbers of this company. 
They spent $12 million on advertising to generate sales of $619,000. Now, doesn't that strike you as crazy? I mean, they spent $19 in advertising to generate a dollar in sales. That shouldn't be too hard to do, but you certainly would not invest in that company, would you? Well, the herd did. Here we are after the bubble has burst, and we're, we're sitting back saying, what were they thinking? But at the time, it made all the sense in the world to many in the herd. When the company went public, investors bid shares of Pets.com up to $14, even though they had never made a profit. And this company may have set a record for the fastest collapse in stock market history, although I don't know that to be the case. At liquidation, the company stock had dropped to 19 cents per share, proving my point that the herd is often wrong. I could tell you the story of tulip mania that occurred in the 1600s in the Netherlands. You would think now if I told you that tulip bulbs, one single solitary tulip bulb was selling for the average salary of a skilled laborer, you would think I was crazy. But at the time, the herd thought it made a lot of sense. Leo Tolstoy said this, Wrong does not cease to be wrong because the majority share in it. And Mark Twain said, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. I believe this is also true when it comes to using retirement plans to save for retirement. If you are of the opinion that tax rates in the future for you will be higher, it might make sense for you to consider paying off that loan that you have with the IRS presently. And you can do that a couple different ways, and I'll talk about it in the next segment. But we talk about this in detail in the book, Can You Divorce Yourself from the IRS? If you'd like to get a copy of the book, just visit divorcetheirsbook.com, and I'll be glad to send you a complimentary copy of the book. The website, again, divorcetheirsbook.com. We'll get you a copy of the book, and I'd like to remind you, we also have our free report available for the month of April titled, Are We Rocketing Toward Reset? And that looks at current values in asset prices like stocks and real estate and bonds. Uh, they are all overvalued now uh, more than they have been at any time in history and gives you some strategies to consider to protect yourself potentially from a price reset, which appears to be uh, on the horizon. Now, again, that report is available by visiting requestyourreportnow.com. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com. And the Divorce Yourself from the IRS book is available at divorcetheirsbook.com, divorcetheirsbook.com. I'll be back after these words. This is RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. We're talking this week about IRAs and 401ks and what is a show that varies from the normal format here. In this segment, I want to continue to break from herd thinking, as I talked about in the last segment, and look at 401k plans and IRA accounts for what they really are and look at the reality of what these plans may cost you. 
Now, as I have discussed, but I'll repeat for those who may be joining us now, the deduction that you receive for putting money in a retirement account isn't really a deduction at all. As I've noted, tax deductions are reductions to income that occur from a financial transaction. If you make a cash donation to your church or a qualified charity, you get to reduce your income by the amount of the cash donation, and there are no strings attached. That is simply not true when it comes to the deduction that you take for contributing to an IRA or 401k. These are not deductions. These are actually loans. At some future point, when you begin to take withdrawals from the IRA or 401k account, the IRS will require that you begin to make payments back to them on that loan. Now, the repayment terms can change when tax laws change. So at the whim of a Congress, maybe the present one, maybe a future one, at the whim of a new president, you could find the repayment terms on this IRA or 401k loan can change. And if you think taxes for you will be higher in the future than they are now, that means the repayment terms will be less favorable. Now, this has already happened. I mean, back in 1974, it was the ERISA law, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, that actually invented the whole notion of an IRA. And in that initial IRA legislation, it was very clear that if you made a contribution to an IRA, you could take a tax deduction for whatever your contribution amount was. But at that time, there was no tax on Social Security benefits. Nine years later, in 1983, Social Security benefits first became taxable. And then in 1993, the taxes on Social Security increased after the president in the Oval Office at the time promised no new taxes. So things change. Now, when you dig in and look at Social Security taxation and see how it's taxed, you'll quickly realize that if you're taking distributions from your IRA in many cases, those IRA distributions or 401k distributions could mean that your Social Security benefits are taxed at a higher level. Now, given that the radio is not a great format to get super technical, let me just talk big picture here. See, back in 1983, when Social Security benefits first became taxable, you had to use a formula to determine how much your combined income was. And the formula was pretty simple. You just took half of your Social Security benefits, and to that you added the rest of your income. Pension income, interest income, tax-free interest income, IRA withdrawals, capital gain income, earned income, business income, rental income. So basically half your Social Security plus all your other income. Now, in 1983, if you were a single taxpayer and this number came to more than $25,000, you would pay tax on some of your Social Security benefits. In 1993, an additional threshold was added for single taxpayers, $34,000. And if it exceeded $34,000, then 85% of your benefits could be taxable. In 
For a married taxpayer, the initial threshold was $32,000. The threshold added for the 85% of benefits taxed in 1993 was $44,000. Now, you don't really need to remember all that. My point is simply this. In 1983, the initial threshold for a single taxpayer for Social Security taxation was $25,000. That was half the Social Security plus all other income. For a married taxpayer, $32,000 was the threshold. Now, 1983 was 38 years ago. Those thresholds have not changed. They have not been indexed for inflation. So if you're listening to this today, and you're a single taxpayer, and you take half your Social Security plus all your other income, including tax-free interest income, and that number exceeds $25,000, you are going to pay tax on some of your Social Security. And if you're a married taxpayer, you go through the same calculation, and if that number exceeds $32,000, you are going to pay tax on some of your Social Security. Now, there is some good news here. Because there is a certain type of retirement account income that does not adversely affect your Social Security, and that is a distribution from a Roth IRA. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with the difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, and I think many listeners are, but for those of you that aren't familiar, let me just explain briefly. When you put money in a Roth, there is no tax deduction. The IRS doesn't take any share of a Roth distribution at retirement either. So in a traditional IRA, you get the tax deduction. The IRS gives you a loan, and at retirement, you have to pay back that loan. In a Roth, you put money in. There is no tax benefit on the front end. The IRS does not give you a loan on the front end. And on the back end, no loan payment is required. So a Roth IRA is tax-free, and distributions from a Roth IRA are not counted in this Social Security tax calculation formula. That can be a big benefit to many people. Now, the interesting news is this. There used to be restrictions on who could convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. So when we're talking about Roth IRAs, there's two types of accounts. There is a contributory Roth. You make a contribution to a Roth, and there's a limit. But there's also something called a Roth conversion. And if you have a traditional IRA or a 401k and you're over 59 and a half, this involves a little bit more detail. But you can convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA All you have to do is pay tax on the conversion amount. So essentially what you're doing when you convert this traditional IRA to a Roth IRA is you're paying back the loan to the IRS. You're divorcing yourself from the IRS. Now, doing a Roth conversion and having 100% conversion in one year probably doesn't make sense for many people. In the book, Can You Divorce Yourself from the IRS, we talk about different strategies, incremental Roth conversion strategies, 
We incorporate the new law uh, in that, that went into effect last year into strategies that you could consider. However, here is another very important point. I can't tell you where tax law is going to be a year from now. It appears there are some changes brewing on the horizon. However, under current law, if nothing changes, individual income tax rates are poised to increase in 2026. So does it make sense for you to consider doing Roth conversions on some or all of your retirement accounts between now and 2026 or between now and whenever income tax rates maybe increase? Well, that depends on your own individual financial situation. We do talk about it in detail in the Can You Divorce Yourself from the IRS book. You can get a free copy of the book today if you visit the website, divorcetheirsbook.com. The website, again, is divorcetheirsbook.com. And in the book, we explain how Roth conversions work. We explain reasons that you might want to consider it, reasons you might not want to consider it. And it is a recently updated resource that we're making available to you at no charge. So if you would like to get a copy of the book, again, the website is divorcetheirsbook.com. And we also have available this month our April report titled, Are We Rocketing Toward Reset? And if you have not received your copy of that report, you can go to requestyourreportnow.com and request your free copy. Requestyourreportnow.com is the website. I'll be back after these words. This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. We're talking today about your IRA and 401k. If you're just tuning in, I talked about the fact that the tax deduction you get from making a contribution to an IRA or 401k is not really a tax deduction at all. It's actually a loan that the IRS makes to you. And the loan is paid back when you begin to take money out of the retirement account. And should tax laws change to be not as favorable to you at some future point, the loan payback terms can become less favorable to you, which makes them more favorable to the IRS. So in the last segment, I talked to you about a strategy that some of you should consider that would have you convert a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. However, before you do so, be sure to understand all the pitfalls that could cause a problem for you, both tax-wise as it relates to your Social Security, your Medicare Part B premium. If you're on Medicare, there's a lot to consider. We have a book that might get might help you get started. It's titled, Can You Divorce Yourself from the IRS? And you can get the book by visiting divorcetheirsbook.com, and we'll be glad to send it to you. Now, the main question that I want to consider in this last segment is, do you think future tax rates are going to be higher or lower for you? Another way to ask the question would be, do you trust the Washington politicians not to change the IRA and 401k rules in their favor? That is a very important question. 
Now, the reality is that politicians have a near-perfect record when it comes to tinkering with the tax code. So much so is the only thing we know for sure is that change will likely happen. And occasionally, these changes can benefit the taxpayer, but often they do not. And don't think that because a particular tax rule has been in effect for a long time that it can't change. There have been many times in U.S. history, as well as in other countries, when long-standing tax rules have been suddenly and even radically changed. Did you know that at one time in U.S. history, the income tax was declared to be unconstitutional and was outlawed? I call those the good old days. But what happened over time, as you might expect, is the Washington politicians managed to figure out how to get a majority of the population paying income taxes. It didn't happen suddenly. It wasn't abrupt. It happened over time. It's an interesting story. First, the politicians begin to discuss an idea. They float a proverbial trial balloon. We're seeing this now with all the talk of a wealth tax. Next, the idea is implemented, but the, but the politicians promise that only a small group will be affected, usually the wealthy, because the class warfare card is an easy one to play. The political rhetoric surrounding this action of taxing only the rich is nothing new. The rhetoric has been around since at least the Roman Empire. So this initial change may affect only the wealthy, but over time this change eventually affects nearly everyone. And this is exactly what happened with the income tax. The income tax began in 1862 when Abraham Lincoln enacted an emergency income tax to finance the Civil War. A minimum tax rate of 3% was the law. The income tax was a national fixture until 1872 when the income tax law lapsed. Then, in 1894, the income tax was reintroduced. The rate was 2%. But the very next year, the Supreme Court of the United States declared that the income tax was unconstitutional. If you're a history buff, you probably already know that. But in 1909, the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was proposed that would allow Congress to levy an income tax, and it took four years for the 16th Amendment to be ratified, and the income tax once again became reality for Americans. As has happened almost always historically, initially this income tax affected only a very small group of wealthier citizens. The initial income tax rate was 1%, and only 1 in 217 people were affected by the tax. But that didn't last very long. By 1939, 1 in 32 citizens paid income tax at a rate of 4%. By 1943, 1 in 3 wage earners were paying the income tax, and payroll tax withholding began. This idea of withholding taxes from paychecks 
was the golden key that allowed income tax rates to increase significantly because now a worker didn't have to write a check for his or her taxes. They were just withheld from the paycheck. Now, my point in bringing this up is this. As it relates to your IRA and 401k and other retirement accounts, these accounts have existed since 1974, as we have discussed. There have already been many changes to the rules, and there will be many more to come. Many of you may not be aware that in the 90s, there was an excise tax on on IRAs. If you had accumulated too much money in an IRA, you would not only pay tax on your distribution, but a 10% excise tax. That's gone. But just look at the facts. Moving ahead... Do you think the laws regarding taxation of retirement plan assets will be more favorable or less favorable? Well, let me give you a fact. The Investment Company Institute at the end of the fourth quarter of 2020, so just three months ago, told us that total retirement plan assets totaled $34.9 trillion. $35 trillion in retirement accounts. Now, the total official official national debt is now in excess of $28 trillion. $35 trillion in retirement plan assets, $28 trillion in national debt. Interesting how close those numbers are. But the fiscal issues, I should say the fiscal problems of the United States, don't end with the debt. According to the Social Security Program's trustee report, Social Security needs $43 trillion to shore it up. Medicare, according to a speech given a couple years ago by Richard Fisher, $85 trillion. So add those numbers together, and we're approaching $150 trillion in national debt and unfunded liabilities for Social Security and Medicare. Those numbers are simply staggering. So the question is this, given those numbers, will future tax rates be higher or lower? And understand that to capture a greater percentage of retirement plan assets, the Washington politicians can just increase income tax rates or change the rules in some other way. Could an excise tax come back? I don't know, but it's existed in the past. And my point is this, if the rules change, the payback terms of the loan you got from the IRS when you contributed to the IRA or 401k could be a lot less favorable as well. I'd like to invite you to get a free resource, our recently revised book, Can You Divorce Yourself from the IRS? That book is available by visiting the website, divorcetheirsbook.com. The website, again, is divorcetheirsbook.com. Be very glad to send you a complimentary copy. And we also have available, during the month of April, our April special report, Are We Rocketing Toward Reset? You can get your copy of that report by visiting the website, requestyourreportnow.com. Requestyourreportnow.com is that site. Again, the, the Can You Divorce Yourself from the IRS book is available at divorcetheirsbook.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. It is free. There is no obligation. Hope you enjoyed this special format of RLA Radio. I'll be back again next week.